Slate Spoiler Specials are brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. This is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Captain America The Winter Soldier, the sequel to the Marvel Captain America film from a few years ago. The first Avenger. The first Avenger, and also the prequel to untold new uh, movies in the Marvel constellation. In fact, there was just an announcement yesterday from the head of Marvel that the movie Slate has been planned through. You want to announce the year? (laughs) 2028, roughly speaking. At which point I saw someone remark on Twitter, Robert Downey Jr. will be 63 years old. Yeah. Well, he's so, a lot of these guys are trying to get out, including Chris Evans, I think, the star of Captain America. Right. I presume. I mean, obviously, if they are planning superhero movies through 2028, they're going to have to turn over the entire cast at some point. It's going to be right. Logan's run. Like, everybody is just going to be out the door. We'll have, like, the Marvel, Marvel Avengers Babies series <laughs> for little kids. Seriously, they could, they're probably grooming some two-year-old right now probably. to be the next Captain America. And here in the studio with me is Forrest Wickman, a Slate contributor, editor of Browbeat. Uh, thanks for coming in, Forrest. Uh, hey, Dana. We saw the movie at the same screening, but we didn't run into each other afterwards, so it's, this is all going to be fresh for me. And lest anyone not have figured this out from the title, we will be spoiling this movie. So if you're planning on seeing Captain America and don't want to know anything about it, definitely save this podcast till you're done. Yeah, and there are big twists in this one, so... So, Captain America the Winter Soldier is actually the sequel to one of my favorite of these Marvel movies, the first Captain America, which I remember quite fondly. It's not that, you know, it was a, a, an exceptional work of cinematic art, but it really it, it really was one of the, I thought, the most charming and appealing of these of these Marvel movies. Maybe because of its retro feel that it was actually set in World War II times and that we got to see Captain America become Captain America through these kind of period newsreels and, and things like that. Um, this movie is set in the present day. He's now woken up from his his whatever it was seventy five year freeze, right? And uh, and is dealing with the contemporary world uh, again. Captain America, Steve Rogers, and his human incarnation is played by Chris Evans. Um, what overall did you you think of this Captain America? I loved this movie. I think I'm here just to gush, basically. So maybe I won't take that long because wow, I'll just list all the things that it. I loved. And I'm I'm actually really curious. I haven't read your review because I didn't want to spoil it for myself before we did the spoiler special. But I gather that you didn't like it as much. I think you liked it. But I want you to tell me all the reasons that I'm a total sucker and pushover for falling for know. this movie. I mean, movie. I guess my question at this point with this kind of movie with the Marvel Summer Blockbuster, which this actually is, although it's just, they're starting in the early spring now, is what are we supposed to get out of them? I mean, I think I got as much enjoyment, suspense, you know, mild thrills out of this as I could from any Marvel movie, but I feel like it's such a familiar product at this point, the superhero blockbuster, that it would really have to not just pile on more of the same, but reinvent itself in some profound w- way for me to care that much. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. Like, this movie does not, for a second, reinvent any part of the genre, but I just kind of thought it was like nearly the platonic ideal of the genre. Like, I think it's just one of the best of these Marvel movies. Like you, I really liked the first one, which had this kind of Indiana Jones uh, feel to it. It was kind of Avengers meets Indiana Jones, and this one's kind of like Avengers meets Enemy of the State or something. There's a little bit of paranoia, which is maybe the only real new element to it. And it's not even new. It's just kind of semi, semi-new semi to these superhero movies. Right. I mean, um, it seems it seems pretty um, general in this type of movie that there's some sort of reference to an NSA-style surveillance yeah. system. But this movie really is about that. And it is sort of more of a 
of a paranoid conspiracy thriller than you usually get in, in a superhero movie. That I did like about it. I also really enjoyed the presence of Robert Redford as the head of, I guess, it, what is he the head of exactly? Some sort of he's, black ops. He's a secretary. I don't even think they specify what secretary he is. I'm not sure. He right, may be like the, the foreign cabinet, secretary right. or secretary of defense. Or... He's both has a legitimate position in the cabinet and is also the head of some nefarious underground organization of which S.H.I.E.L.D., right, the the, the Avengers organization right. is a part. Um, but I really liked his, his ambivalence. Since this is a spoiler, we can talk about it. But, you know, he starts off as sort of seeming like the good guy fighting on, on behalf of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and talking to all these world diplomats about, you know, giving it funding and keeping it going. And, of course, it turns out to be, at the end, this treacherous snake who is, you know, going to stab the whole thing in the heart. Yeah, that was just perfect element number one of this movie. It's, it's great casting, I think, because... You know Robert Redford. I don't. I can't think of if he's ever played a villain before, but he's generally just this comforting, you know, leading presence who you feel like you can always trust. And so it's kind of a great moment. It wasn't that big of a surprise, but it was kind of a great moment when he just offs his uh, cleaning lady. The housekeeper. That is yeah. a great moment. Yes, it's the first moment that you really realize that that he's a bad guy, right? The cleaning lady comes back in to get her phone, and and she just completely buys it. So as we begin in present-day Washington, D.C., um, we meet the unfrozen Chris Evans, uh, Steve Rogers, who, as I said earlier, is sort of getting used to life in 21st century America. And his aide in doing that is his army buddy, right? Are they supposed to know each other from from army training? They don't know each other, but they bond because... Uh, well, I, I don't recall them knowing each other, but they bond because they've both been through traumatic experiences abroad in sort of unnamed foreign conflicts that are presumably Afghanistan and right. Iraq or something. And, and this so, buddy we're talking about, played by Anthony Mackie, yeah. is Sam Wilson, who we learn pretty early on into the movie is also a superhero of some kind. We don't really get his backstory. I'm sure that's for one of the, the next movies on the slate. But he is called Falcon, and he's got these mechanical wings that fold out of his body, and he can fly. That's his, that's his power, I guess. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know what you thought of him, but... But I thought he was great. I thought he was maybe my favorite. I thought he gave maybe my favorite performance in this movie. And I it's love small. Anthony Mackie. I mean, ever since Hurt Locker, I've been waiting yeah, for him to get a movie great, to yeah. himself, which he still hasn't. But he's enormously charming in this one. I mean, he's the sidekick. He doesn't have a ton to do, but he's a very funny sidekick. Yeah, he's, he just like brings a lot of he, – he kind of reminded me of old school Will Smith and just bringing that kind of swagger to this very small role. So he hooks up with uh, with Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, and also Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, a.k.a. the Black Widow, who we know from the last Avengers movie. And the three of them end up on the run, essentially, from Robert Redford and his nefarious evildoers. And also, they think at one point, from Nick Fury. That's another person who's yeah. Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., is another ambivalent figure in this movie, right? We start off thinking that, of course, he's the good guy. Then there's a long period in which he thinks he's, he's the bad guy. He fakes his own death. Mm-hmm. And uh, and after he comes back, we sort of realize that it was all part of the plan. And we can still trust Nick Fury for future installments. Yeah. Did you think that he might actually die? I I've confess that I found this movie actually pretty unpredictable, which is rare for me for this, these kinds of, I don't know, these kinds of movies are just usually pretty predictable, I think. But um, I, I, I legitimately did not dead. know who to trust. No, I thought and, he would stay dead for the rest of the movie. I mean, in the comic book universe, you can never really trust that many people will die yeah. for good. But I thought it would be a future installment that he would he would be resurrected for. A fun a fun touch when they went to his gravestone. Did you notice that the quote oh, yeah. of his gravestone was from Ezekiel? Right. The same passage that he famously quotes in, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, the path of the righteous man. The righteous man. man. Yeah. 
All right, so you need to run down some of the things that you liked so much about this movie. I mean, it was fine. It was enjoyable. I'm going to say some of the things I liked about it, among them Redford and Johansson's performances. But what was it that made you come away so satisfied from The Winter Soldier? Yeah, I mean, it's nothing that surprising or interesting. I just thought that, you know, from the performances, which we've talked about, and I think it agreed they were pretty much universally great. People seemed happy to be there, which yeah. is not always the case in this kind of movie. Yeah, to the screenplay, which had all those twists that I found generally genuinely unpredictable, to the action, which uh, was probably the clearest and easiest to follow action I've seen in one of these movies for a while, at the same time as having, you know, up to five or six superheroes and supervillains in a single action scene. Um, and it, it wasn't that stylish. Like, there weren't, you know, shots that I'd never seen before, like kinds of slow motion, fast motion, or whatever. Um, it was just all really well done. The action sequences, I mean, I have to admit that at this point, it's 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 almost hard for me to see those action sequences. They are so inevitably mm-hmm. overlong and, and I don't know, just overly busy and overly loud that I, I can't really connect to them anymore. So, I'm just waiting for them to be over, honestly. You, you got bored during them? Yeah, and the, the, the movie yeah. is 136 minutes long. It could easily have lost 20 minutes, especially given that the second half is, is essentially teasers for the next... Marvel movie. So I've I've heard that a few times, uh, including from uh, uh, spoiler special producer Chris Wade. And I don't. So what what is it that you would cut? So I wa- I really want to hear the things that you didn't like, and maybe those are the scenes that you would cut. Because I enjoyed every minute of this movie, so I wouldn't <laughs> cut any of it. You know. I love don't your, cut perfection. I love your love for it so much that I, I hate to take. So I can away. I can confess that I actually shed a single tear. This is really embarrassing, and I'm gonna regret saying this probably, but I actually shed a tear at the end of this movie, which was maybe just because of the sort of like manipulative quality of the end of this movie. I think it was a combination of that and just genuinely being really happy that it was really good. Like I remember reading your Ratatouille review from like seven years ago or something where at the end you cried and described crying not necessarily because of the story moving you, but just because the movie was so good. Yeah, and, I remember that. And very there was clearly. part of that. I think it was just a relief. I feel like I've come on these podcasts so many times to bash and be disappointed by these movies. And it was really fun just to really genuinely enjoy one again. Wow, I'm such a cynic now. There's no way that I can spoil your single tear with my, my, my cruelty. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely have cut down the action sequences is one thing I could say. I think that the Bucky Barnes character who emerges mm-hmm. in more toward the second half of the movie, Bucky Barnes being Steve Rogers' old buddy from World War II Army days, who has also gone through a process of freezing and unfreezing but has been won over to the bad side, right, and is now fighting on the side of the Hydra, which, if you saw the last movie, is this sort of para-Nazi organization. Yeah, it's kind of like the Illuminati or something. They secretly control everything. They're worse than the Nazis, basically. They're like the Nazis of the Nazis. And (laughs) they've survived mainly in technological form as Toby Jones, their mastermind, has preserved himself as a, as a computer brain, which, yeah. which they encounter at one point in this movie. So, so those are, that's the, the superstructure of badness that we're dealing with, along with you know, the, the Robert Redford problems. And, uh, and I, just, I thought that came into the movie too late, and that the whole idea of Bucky Barnes as this kind of uh, like Miltonian hero who's fallen from you know, being mm-hmm. a good man to a bad man was just really 
quickly sketched in. I, I realize that that's all set up for a future movie where it will be explained, but it's one of those moments where, you know, I, I, I get tired of having to appreciate this entire complex of movies as some sort of giant mega narrative. You know, I, I need each movie to, to stand up on its own. I wanted to care about Bucky Barnes because of what happens to him in this movie and not some prospective future one. Yeah, I mean, I will uh, grant that that character is not very fully realized, but I did think it really worked as a conflict for uh, Captain America in this movie and that it was sort of poignant that he only has this one connection to the past besides his girlfriend who is now something like 90 years old. Um, so, Oh, yeah, that was a scene we should discuss. I forgot about that. There's so much in this movie, actually. So uh, yeah. that was really neat and could also mm-hmm. have been explored more, that he goes to see his, his old love who's still alive, but she's like 95 years old. Is it still Haley Atwell who plays her in age makeup? It's somebody it's in age makeup. It's a lot of age makeup. I think it's her, yeah. yeah. I think it's the same actress. I really liked Haley Atwell in the first movie as Peggy Carter, who's the love interest of Captain America. It was it was the rare superhero love interest where there's, there's not just a flimsy excuse to have a pretty girl on the premises. I thought they had a real relationship. So it was cool to see her again in age makeup. But it but it seems like that could have done with some more explanation, too. I also thought she was going to die in the course of the movie, but she never does. He just has one visit with his old girlfriend, who he presumably goes and has tea with every once in a while, and uh, and then moves on. Right. And she has dementia, so she is sort of fading, even if, even if she's not dead. Um, Maybe they're yeah. keeping her around for the next movie, so she can, oh, no, she she'll can reveal be revived some too. secret from the past. Yeah, I will say I don't really trust any death in these movies anymore after the Bucky Barnes thing, where he fell off a cliff, I don't know, uh, like hundreds of yards uh, down. As long as I don't he fell know how water. he survived. Come right. on, you saw yeah, the born yeah. identity, right? As long as he fell into water, it's all of good. Of course, and the fugitive, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there, the, um, yeah, there, there were little bits of screwball comedy in both in the original movie and a little bit in this one with, uh, you know, Captain America and the Black Widow going to the Apple Store and in disguise and sort of having to pre- pretend to be lovers, but you're never really sure whether they're, you know pretending to hate each other and actually like each other or or what it's kind of simmers and i really like that aspect of it too yeah the relationship between them was was surprisingly rich i really was surprised that scarlett johansson's role was as significant as it was and as funny as it was and that her character had this sort of dry sense of humor her her character is also sort of conceited i kind of love the ongoing Mm -hmm. jokes about how she's comparing herself favorably to to other superheroes and her abilities and yeah to, to, to my surprise i really i thought she she kind of stole the movie I mean, for one thing, I was expecting Scarlett Johansson to be essentially eye candy and be there a large part of the time for kind of decorating the set with her gorgeous body. And of course, she is gorgeous and she's decked out and always made up and and looks great. But I really didn't think that the primary focus was on her kind of appearance and sexiness and and seductiveness. In fact, she doesn't initiate any relationship with anyone. As you point out, there's this kind of fake flirtation between her and Captain America to, to distract the enemy. Um, but you really kind of get a sense that she knows that she's out of his league, right? And at the end, she kind of gives him a little kiss on the cheek, but it's not really about a love interest. It actually sort of is about them forging a working relationship together. Yeah, I I will say the one uh, criticism I'll make of this movie, I guess, is I think that character is treated really, really well and is a great character. However, sometimes during the action sequences, I couldn't help but notice that they were just, only when she was on screen, sort of shot at butt level. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, why, you know, why are we three feet off the ground all of the time? Forrest, let me stop you there for just a minute for a word from our sponsor. 
The Spoiler Special is delighted to be sponsored by Audible.com, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment. They have over 150,000 great audiobook titles, which you can choose from at will, but we'd like to recommend one that has something to do with our topic. And so given that there's a, there's a little bit of a World War II thread going on in the Captain America movies, the cryogenic freezing of two former soldiers from that war, I thought we would recommend... Unbroken, which, according to our producer Chris Wade, is a fantastic story about World War II survival. It's the story of a pilot who was shot down over the Pacific Ocean in 1943 and the subsequent insane things that he went through in order to survive and find his way back to safety. I haven't read Unbroken, but I know it was rapturously received by critics and audiences when it came out a few years ago, and it's narrated on Audible by Edward Herman, who is always a wonderful character actor and I'm sure who does a great job with that story. And again, if you sign up at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, you can find that book and any one of 150,000 other great titles, as well as a 30-day free trial of the service. So again, the spoiler special thanks Audible for their support. Okay, Forrest, back to The Winter Soldier. Yeah, I guess, I mean, in a way, this has kind of become so par for the course in these movies that I barely notice the the, the, the de facto layer of sexism that just yeah. exists in every comic book movie. And I'm just impressed that this movie is not as sexist as I would have expected. Maybe yeah. that's sort of like the action sequences, right? I mean, at this point, it's just de rigueur that you're going to have to have you know, 30 full minutes of action sequences spread throughout the movie. Maybe we should talk about what made the action sequences work for me a little bit. I mean, one thing was they just have so much fun with ping-ponging the shield around. I mean, it shouldn't be a very exciting weapon at all. And in some ways, there's just this joke about how it's inherently a defensive thing that he manages to find, you know, 356 different ways of using to thwart enemies. But there's so much fun physics of it kind of bouncing around and boomeranging it's true. You know, he uses off it three as a tanks boomerang. and then he back to it. him. And it's like, always getting impaled or embedded in things. Does it ever kill anyone in the movie, The Shield? I mean, there is a pretty high assumed body count in this movie. I think he kills a a lot of people in this movie. But does They're the generally shield bloodless. ever kill anyone? Does he ever, oh. like, decapitate someone with the shield? He hit some shield? people pretty hard in the head, which I don't think they're coming back from, but there's enough ambiguity that I think... You, you get to sort of not think about it too long. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of movie that it's not a Christopher Nolan movie. It's not trying yeah. to make us think about, you know, mass body count and, and casualties in the streets and things like that. But, you know, if you were to go through and actually count, there's a lot of moments from the pirate ship storming at the beginning through, you know, all of those moments of kind of like bursting into rooms of bad guys and essentially blowing them all away. It's 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 it's, it's pretty violent without being in the least bit gory. Even uh, Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury in one action sequence we haven't talked about, he takes on just a bunch of cops and and SWAT team figures and stuff and seemingly kills or very, very, very badly hurts a lot of them, which at the time I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, who are these people? Maybe they're just mutant clones or something. But I think in, in retrospect, they were just real cops who just got the wrong orders, which is pretty rough to see. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think that there's a lot of, of thought put into to who's killing who in, in this movie. There's, there's some attempt at political allegory when it comes yeah. to the national security advisor questions, you know, when it comes to surveillance and things like that. But there's not a lot of thinking, for example, about drone warfare, which is something that comes up in this movie. Unlike what was the recent movie that, that, that began oh, with and thematized are, drone warfare? There's, well, RoboCop and Star Trek Into Darkness and Ender's Game. It's been just the big thing in every action movie. And, and I actually thought that this one was really effective about it and not trying to make it too much of an allegory, but basically just recreating it. Um, granted, the weapons are slightly different, but the question, the fundamental question, um, is kind of largely the same, which is this minor, minority report-ish question of, you know, is it fair to kill people for crimes that they haven't 
done yet. And so they're just Hydra is just going to kill all of its enemies and all the enemies of order ahead of time. And and it was not a deep allegory, but it was enough that made it real to me and made me care about that question. Like I think every there are so many action sequences and chase sequences in this movie and in almost all of them except for the first one I think. You know, there's you're getting a bit of character in every action sequence. There's there's that at stake. You know, you have Captain America deciding whether to save Bucky Barnes, for example. And then you have, you know, some sort of larger theme that's that's going on. And and that, I think, is another big thing that kept me interested through the action sequences. Well, I mean, the themes were definitely not hit so hard that they became platitudinous and ponderous. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. But I think at times they were hit so subtly that it wasn't that clear what Captain America et al. were fighting for, except survival of S.H.I.E.L.D. and kind of the safety of their own organization. Well, they're dismantling S.H.I.E.L.D. because S.H.I.E.L.D. has been... Like, uh, it's uh, collaborated too much with this growing, uh, you know, military-industrial complex that's now going to just take over the the world. So is the idea at the end that the Avengers are going to have to all go rogue and create some some new shadow organization? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, they're going Ghost Recon or whatever. Right. Well, as long as we're here in the business of spoiling, we should talk a little bit about the the stingers, which, you know, every good Marvel fan waits around at the end through the entire endless credit sequence with the visual effects, you know, army that created the movie to see scenes from upcoming Marvel movies. And there are two at the end of this movie, one in the middle of the credit sequence and one at the very end. So you could actually think you were done and leave and, and, and miss another one. Now, if I understood right, the first one is for the next Avengers movie. And the second one is for uh, for another Captain America, Captain America three, which is still a couple years out. Yeah, that that seems right to me. Uh, you know, I think it's all the same universe, so I can't really keep track anymore. Um, but one thing y- that's implied by the second one, the Captain America three one that I liked, is that Bucky Barnes is going to get his own right. movie. Right, he is the Winter Soldier. Although I'm not sure that formulation is ever clearly made in this movie. Right, that's his sort mm-hmm. of superhero, and essentially he is the good guy gone bad. Captain America's childhood friend who, you know, has now gone over to the dark side. And there's this kind of nice scene where he goes to a, the, the reanimated Bucky Barnes goes to the Smithsonian, Smithsonian yeah. and the Air and Space Museum where there's this big uh, display about Captain America and the development of superhero technology in this alternate World War II universe. And uh, and he sees a big placard of himself and is sort of reading about this life that he can no longer remember. So I like that because it's got a little bit of a, of a Jason Bourne feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, he's been doing things for the last 60 years, bad things that he doesn't remember and knows nothing about. And so he's going to be rediscovering himself in some some future chapter. Yeah, and then the the other one, the mid-credit sequence, is the one where there's a lot more going on to the extent that I couldn't really follow. I didn't see the most recent Thor movie because I just could not watch another Thor movie and learn more about Asgardian politics or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but so you see that... Uh, uh, that they have the staff of Loki, and then you meet these two new characters who are from the comics, who are Aaron Johnson, who plays this guy who is named Quicksilver. I learned when I looked this up, uh, who is super, super fast and very twitchy, apparently, in his tiny jail cell. Um, and then Elizabeth Olsen, uh, who plays this character who I guess is named the Scarlet Witch, who, as we see here, at least is telekinetic, though I gather she has other famously vague Elizabeth powers. Olsen, that's who the crazy chick in the jail yeah. cell was at the end. I thought she had a really intriguing face, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite place it. Yeah, so, you know, while it's scary to see this whole thing keep mounting up and mounting up under its own weight until, you know, aiming for 2028. It's nice that they're picking up a lot of 
pretty good, promising young actors. Aaron Johnson is, can be quite good, too. Yeah, I'm starting to take these movies, I wouldn't say seriously, but I'm starting to accept. <laughs> I'm re- resigning myself to the fact that we just live in Marvel Nation now. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, these may not be my favorite kinds of movies, but there's some good ones in, in the constellation, and there could be more good ones coming. Yeah, yeah, we just need more like this, and then I'll stop complaining. All right, well, Forrest, thanks a lot, and come back between now and 2028 as many times as you want <laughs> to discuss Marvel movies. <laughs> thanks, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.